following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Today we'll be having three people from Artisan sharing uh, devotional um, reflections on um, their Advent and Christmas experience um, this year. Uh, so first we'll have Ken Tryon, and uh, he'll be followed by Carrie Blavelt, and then Jolene Walter. Morning. Morning. So it's, uh, of course, I, I turn on my iPad here so I can see what I'm going to say. And I get my daughter giving me this look. <laughs> Don't take me too seriously. She doesn't. Let's start with a lectionary reading from Luke 2. It's on page 833 in the Red Bibles. Luke 2, verse, verses 41 through 52. Now, every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover, that is Jesus' parents. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among the relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in years, and in divine and human favor. Um, by way of, of reflection, um, something that has always fascinated me or, or uh, amazed me is, is the idea of the um, the idea of the incarnation, Jesus becoming human. Uh, and we see some of the tension there in this passage that between his humanity and his divinity, his human parents and his heavenly father. Um, scripture is full of things that we have to hold in tension. Scott has spoken before about the concept of already and not yet. For example, we have already overcome sin by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, yet we still sin. Both things are true, yet they pull against each other and they can seem contradictory. God has a way of turning our logic on its head in a way that can make us stumble if we're stuck in the world's way of thinking. And in this celebration, we celebrate the greatest gift and greatest stumbling block of all Scripture, in the person of Jesus, God the Creator became the created. Emmanuel, which means God with us. God is often described by his attributes. 
um, and forgive me for using gendered language here. It's, it's what I grew up with, and it's hard for me to get away from it. <laughs> he is omniscient, that is, all-knowing. He is omnipotent, or all-powerful, which is pretty standard stuff for a deity. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know pretty much anybody who, who, who uh, worships a god. Um, he's also pure, loving, and forgiving. And he seems simple until you realize God possesses these attributes absolutely and perfectly. He's absolutely pure and perfectly loving. Um, God is, is, is absolutely pure and can and tolerate no uh, impurity. And, and that's, that's a standard that we can never live up to. Yet he's perfectly loving and he loves us and made it possible for us to approach him. Another, um, another attribute of God is that God is non-contingent. He exists independent of anything else. He always has been and always will be. God existed before time and will continue when time passes away. When, God, when Moses asked whom he should tell the people of Israel who sent him, he simply replied, I am that I am. This leads us to another attribute. God is transcendent. He is the creator. We are the created. He is not contained by time or space. We are contained by both. He cannot be defined or fully described using any terms or concepts that we understand. We can know him in part because his attributes are reflected in creation and we are created in his image. But we can only know him in part. And yet... God became human, one of us. He was, as Michael Card says, a holy embryo. Jesus didn't just appear to be human, he was fully human, yet at the same time he remained fully God, and that's, that's important. Um, there was the Gnostic heresy, which was um, beginning even, even near the times when, when the Gospels were written, uh, that said that uh, spiritual things were good and physical things were bad, so Jesus couldn't have been truly human because that's, that's um, if the physical was bad. And on the other hand, we see people who say, okay, Jesus was a, good, a great prophet, but they deny his divinity. He was both. Um, God cried was suckled by his mother, and pooped his diaper. <laughs> God had zits. God had awkward conversations with girls. God's voice cracked. God whacked his thumb with a hammer and felt pain. God, in the person of Jesus, was like us in all ways sin accepted. He knew the temple was his father's house, yet he was obedient to Mary and Joseph, his earthly parents. We never hear of Joseph after this incident, so Jesus must have known how it felt to be fatherless. He knew what it was to be misunderstood by his family. They came to him when he was preaching, wondering, what are you doing? And, and probably for them to think that he should be home as the eldest, helping to support his mother. Jesus was without sin and knew the pain of living in a fallen world where he was rejected and despised by humanity where his heavenly father was dishonored 
and where his people and his creation were abused. Jesus was tempted and did not fall. In the end, he was tortured and executed for crimes he did not commit and took on himself the burden of our sin. He rose again because he is greater than death and continues to live in a glorified body as a kind of promise of what we will become when he returns to make a new heaven and a new earth. So, what does this mean to me? It means I am loved by a God who understands me from the inside out, who has lived a life on earth and knows that life is hard. It means that this all will eventually pass away to be replaced by a newly, new, perfected creation. In Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16, read, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, and yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Pardon me if I ramble a little bit. This is where I uh, this is where I got to. Uh, last night I was trying. So I was trying to write this out. Um, this has been particularly comforting to me in a very hard year this year. Um, that. I'm not praying to a God up there, some abstract concept of, of deity, but um, I have a mediator, I have a savior who came to earth, who lived our life, um, and who understands in every way what it means to struggle, to have pain, to feel lonely. Uh, to feel hopeless and to turn to uh, his heavenly father our heavenly father and and uh, ask for help for grace for strength um, to be dependent uh, every day every moment on on that God on God and uh, to live in the strength that he gives us uh, and to be surprised again and again when I don't feel strong enough to do life on my own that God gives the strength that I need uh, through through a the people that he's put in my life through prayer, through through um, through lots of ways that ex- that surprise me, um, things that I don't expect, and uh, for that that blessing, I'm thankful and will be eternally thankful. That's it.
Thank you, Ken, for that. That was beautiful. And I think I can speak for at least most of us when I say we are also thankful that God has brought you into our lives as well. I don't have an iPad, so I went old school. <clears throat> um, and I have to admit that when Scott first asked for people interested in sharing today, I kind of cringed at the thought. Um, not only was I nervous about getting up here and speaking in front of a group of people, uh, but I was also hesitant to take on another task at this time of year. Um, but when I saw the list of passages included Colossians 3, 12 through 17, which is a reading that my husband Matthew and I chose for our wedding ceremony. I had a change of heart. Um, so as I shuffled through and reviewed all of my Christmas time to-do lists, I decided to make some time to return to this passage from Colossians, which I consider to be my spiritual to-do list. Um, so I will read that now. And this is on page 958 in the Red Bibles, if you are following along. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. <clears throat> and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Um, so this is a series of verses that I feel I can and should return to frequently. Uh, when I feel invincible and proud of all the things going well in my life, I must remember to be humble and meek. When I disagree with Matthew or feel that he hasn't been there for me in the way that I need, I must remember to choose forgiveness. When I feel overwhelmed by my depression and anxiety, I can focus on the peace of Christ ruling in my heart and mind. I can return to this set of instructions time and time again. So as I returned to this passage today, I asked God and myself which of these tasks I may have been neglecting and need to focus on. As the anticipation of Advent turned to the joy of Christmas, I really still felt a longing for Christ. And as we celebrate him coming into our world, I felt a desire to invite him into my heart. So for me, this Christmas, I turn to verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. My goal for myself for this Christmas season is to spend time studying Christ's words, to examine how he lived and how he has called me to live. I also ask help from all of you to teach and admonish me in all wisdom. Share with me your knowledge of Jesus. Call me out when I'm not following his path. Um, and, of course, join me in singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. Merry Christmas.
Hello. I'm going to round that out by reading the third lectionary reading for today. And I really invite you to um, look at this one in your Bibles. It's in the Red Bibles. It's on page 508. It's Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his host. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. He established them forever and ever. He fixed their bounds, which cannot be passed. Praise the Lord from the earth, you sea monsters and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and frost, stormy wind fulfilling his command. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and women alike, old and young together. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His glory is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people, praise for all his faithful, for the people of Israel who are close to him. Praise the Lord. Are there any Star Wars fans in the house? Awesome. I saw the new movie. Did you guys see it? It was amazing. I loved it. I'm going back again um, tomorrow to see it in IMAX. Whoop, whoop. But I want, so I want to talk about Star Wars for a minute. Um, not because it was a great movie, although it was, but because of the hype leading up to it. In the weeks leading up to the release, the internet was consumed by Star Wars. Along with other fans, I was watching trailers and interviews on YouTube. If you did any Christmas shopping this year, you were probably bombarded with Star Wars merchandise. In the weeks and months leading up to the release, the anticipation was palpable. Fans around the world were on the edge of their seats, waiting to see this movie. In the church, the season of Advent is meant to be about waiting. And not just waiting, I think, but longing. Longing for a savior. Those are some really powerful emotions. I looked up some synonyms for the word longing, and here are a few. Yearn for, ache for, thirst for, be desperate for, and dream of. I can certainly imagine feeling a sense of yearning and dreaming for a new Star Wars trilogy. A new one only comes out every couple decades. So, of course, fans feel a sense of longing when a new movie is about to be released. But in the church, we do this Advent thing every single year. I grew up in a Lutheran church. During Advent, I heard the same scriptures, the same songs, year after year. We lit the Advent wreath. We didn't sing Christmas songs until December 25th. Due to a combination of tradition and procrastination. My family usually didn't put up our Christmas tree until Christmas Eve. And all of these routines led up to the big grand finale on Christmas. In the church, 
the waiting period of Advent, at least for me, can feel like just another tradition, another ritual that we put on every time the month of December rolls around. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't say that I ache for, dream of, or am desperate for the birth of a Savior when it happens on a predictable schedule every December. That longing, that sense of aching, isn't really there, is it? I think it can be hard sometimes to really identify with that waiting and yearning that was once felt by the people awaiting the birth of a Savior long ago. But that's not to say we're doing something wrong or that we have lost the true meaning of Christmas. Not at all. Just that maybe the season of Christmas is a chance for us to reflect on waiting in a broader context. Maybe there are lessons to be learned about waiting that apply to our lives outside of just the Advent season. I certainly think that's the case with the lectionary readings today. So I thought I would take some time today to share some of my own experience with waiting in hopes that it might resonate with you too. Waiting has felt very acute to me this Advent season for reasons other than Star Wars. I've always considered myself a patient person. That sort of comes in the job description when you're a primary school teacher. But the last couple of years have led me to reconsider what patience means and has shown me the depths to my patience that I didn't even know were there. Many of you know my boyfriend, Ross. I moved to Rochester several years ago to be closer to him. He hasn't been to Artisan in over six months because he simply doesn't have time. He's a year two neurology resident at Strong. If anyone has ever gone through medical training or is close to someone who has, you know everything that is wrapped up in that statement. Medical residency is associated with high rates of clinical depression and anxiety. It's not a good time for you being the resident or for anyone who's close to you. It requires big sacrifices from you and from the people who care about you, especially your significant other. Your schedule is dictated for you when you have time off, when you sleep, you have almost no say in the matter. You hear that it gets better in a year or two, but in the meantime, you can't do anything except wait longing and aching for a change. It's sort of the epitome of what Scott was talking about in his sermon a few weeks ago, when you can't get excited about what God has done in the past or what he shall do in the future, and all you can say is, how long? It's a waiting game. This past year of his residency has been especially difficult for me personally and for our relationship. But in this time, I've learned a few things about waiting. One of the biggest things, and the thing that I would like to share with you today, is this. I have learned the secret of saying thanks. Although it's really not such a secret because it's right in the reading from Colossians that um, Carrie read today. Verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body, and be thankful. 
Verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And there's another reference in verse 16 about gratitude. I don't think it's a coincidence that a passage about being clothed in patience and having Christ's peace rule in our hearts reminds us to also express gratitude. Not once, not twice, but three times. When I practice gratitude in waiting, I notice a difference. In the past year, I've found that when I can't change the situation, when I'm just longing for things to get better, turning my focus to the things that I'm grateful for helps make the waiting more bearable. Sometimes it's my job and my supportive coworkers or my students. Sometimes it's a favorite TV show or a chance to do an activity I enjoy. Sometimes it's something more basic, like food, clothing, or shelter. I'm certainly not the first person to consider the power of gratitude. In positive psychology, you will find study after study showing the link between gratitude and well-being. But I find it interesting that this is a theme in the Bible as well. Even Job, in his suffering, found a way to bless the name of the Lord. I've always been fascinated by the idea that our feelings and thoughts can be shaped by our words and actions, that it doesn't have to be the other way around. Engage in a little thought experiment with me for a moment. If you want, you can look back at the lectionary reading I read from um, Psalm 148. We typically assume, at least I do, that um, psalms of praise and thanksgiving were written when the author was joyful or feeling optimistic. But what if they weren't? Imagine that today's lectionary passage, Psalm 148, was written from a place of darkness when the author felt uncertain and far from God's peace. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his faithful, for the people of Israel who are close to him. Praise the Lord. Can you imagine expressing something like that during a period of certainty, uncertainty and longing? Focusing more on the things that I'm thankful for has helped me have a more productive mindset. Not that my situation is changing or that I'm changing, just that I am paying attention to the good things that are already there, no matter how big or small they might be. I find that from day to day, the waiting is easier. I question less and trust more. I am more patient with myself and with the situation around me. The power of gratitude goes a long way when your patience is pushed to the limit. When you are stuck in the darkness, asking, how long? I'll leave you with this. I would like to invite you now to think of one thing that you are grateful for. No matter how seemingly insignificant it is, could be anything. More than one thing, if you prefer. And in these next few moments, let that fill your awareness.
meditate on how and why you are grateful, giving thanks to God. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body, and be thankful. Thank you so much, Ken. Carrie and Jolene for sharing your personal reflections with us and preparing our hearts and minds um, for our own reflection uh, as we gather now for um, the time in our service where we take communion. Uh, At Artisan, we we do so every week, and um, this week feels especially uh, important as we reflect on... um, the incarnation, the word becoming flesh um, as a vulnerable baby and ultimately dying um, for our salvation. Um, So you can use this time to reflect on um, your salvation, reflecting on this time, the Advent season, a time of waiting and a time of joy. And um, what we do is we practice intinction where we tear off a piece of bread and dip it in the juice or wine, whatever is better for your family. And um, uh, you're welcome to the table now. Or you uh, can also just use this time to sit, meditate, and pray. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.